Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 2, Episode 12. Today is Thursday, April 19th. My name is Bradley Metrock. I am CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for This Week in Voice, as well as the Voice First Roundtable, is Voice XP, a company based out of St. Louis, Missouri, which develops Alexa skills in, in Google Home Actions for companies. Rather than read any specific spiel, I want to instead take a moment to recognize Bonnie Snyder, who is the uh, Director of Business Development for Voice XP. Bonnie Snyder will be joining me and several other people um, on a panel that will take place out in San Jose, California as part of the, as part of the Witty Summit, Women in Technology International puts on an annual event. They're having a panel called Women of Voice Technology. Uh, Kathy Pearl, Katie McMahon, Kesha Williams, and Bonnie Snyder will all be on that panel. Uh, I will be moderating it. Uh, it's just a good example of Voice XP and the great work they're doing. If you need someone to develop an Alexa skill for you, hit them up, go look up www.voicexp.com. You'll be glad that you did. We are thrilled today to be joined by two awesome guest panelists. Lauren Golombieski, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, you got that right. That's awesome. Hey, I try. People mess up my name all the time. Lauren, thank you very much for joining us. Lauren is CEO of Voxable. What is Voxable, Lauren? Voxable is an agency here in Austin, Texas that focuses on conversational design and development. So we build conversational web and mobile apps, as well as chatbots and voice-first experiences on Alexa and Google Assistant. Our mission at Voxable is to advance humanity by building technology that better understands us. And we think that voice is an incredible medium for doing that. Excellent. Yeah, y'all are doing phenomenal work. Uh, really honored that you're joining us. Thank you for setting this time aside. Of course. I'm really uh, happy to be here. We're big fans of the Voice First family of podcasts, and we really appreciate the work you're doing to bring attention to the space. So thanks so much for having me on today. I appreciate that. Our second guest is Michael Fitzpatrick of Pull String. Michael, say hello. Hello, Bradley, and thanks again for the opportunity to chat with you all today. Uh, Pull String, uh, similarly to Lauren's mission, has a, a goal of making it much easier for us to talk with and converse with the, the technology around us. Pull String builds software that helps creative professionals and technologists alike design, prototype, and then publish their voice applications for platforms, including Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, and even IoT devices. Uh, so happy to be here today and appreciate the opportunity. This is great. Yeah, very pleased to have both of y'all. Thank you for being so generous with not just your time, but sharing your insight with me and the audience as well. And with that, we will get to the news. Story number one from TechCrunch, Adobe acquires SaySpring. If you've been following voice technology, you have seen the rise of all sorts of companies all across the ecosystem doing all sorts of interesting things. We've got two on the show, Pull String and Voxable. And something like this sort of puts the wind in the sails of everybody. SaySpring's been doing phenomenal work. Uh, we listed on the page for This Week in Voice this week some of their appearances on Voice First FM, and now they have been acquired by Adobe. Very cool. And I want to get 
the panel's sort of reaction to this and how they sort of view this news, uh, to what level of enthusiasm uh, they view it with. And Lauren, I'm going to start with you. Share with me what you think about this acquisition specifically, and then just sort of generally, you know, all boats rising on the rising tide of, uh, of voice technology. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is an awesome thing for the design community at large. And I really think that better design tools and having more designers access the space through those tools um, is really going to shape and influence voice interfaces uh, to be better and, and more user-friendly and more exciting and more creative. And I know that SaySpring itself talks about having that vision as well in their prototyping tool. And so it's really interesting that Adobe has acquired them and Adobe has this entire suite of products that are is still a mainstay in many designers' toolkits. And I'm just really excited to see what they do with that tool. If it becomes a part of the creative suite and then it's automatically in so many designers' hands and I really want to, I'm really interested in, to, in seeing how kind of more traditional interface designers might adopt this voice tool and start to enter the space because that's really a personal mission of mine is to pull more interface designers, more user experience professionals into the space to really be focusing on the types of problems we're solving with voice interfaces. So uh, interestingly enough, Mark and I uh, got together last week in New York for a chat and a beer, and somehow this pending announcement must have just slipped his mind because he didn't mention it to me uh, just a few days ago. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm excited for Mark and the, and the overall SafeSpring team. I've had the privilege actually of working at and with Adobe for uh, over a decade, and uh, Adobe's a great company. The team's doing some great work on unifying their cloud products. So. I think this is a, a great step forward. Um, I think with, with this acquisition, Adobe is dipping its pinky toe into the voice market and that that's going to validate a couple of things that we're really passionate about. Uh, I think one of those is if you think back about a decade ago, mobile screen design rapidly consumed the hearts and minds of creative design professionals. And we saw the emergence of companies like Sketch and uh, most recently Figma that saw that opening and have been chipping away at the creative's toolbox. So my pattern recognition is buzzing right now as I see voice user interface design rapidly becoming the discussion amongst creative professionals. I think Adobe understands how important voice is moving forward and that the tides are turning towards VUI design. And this is a great first move. I think the second thing that I would call out here is that we've historically believed that experience design is as important to voice applications as the underlying AI systems actually managing the conversation. So, you know, we've seen again and again, you can have the best AI under the covers, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a good user experience. In fact, many voice apps fail as a result. So it's why Polstering's always been focused on blending the art and science of conversation to drive the most engaging experiences. And I think this is a, a good step forward, as Lauren's suggesting, to bring design forward in the entire voice application development experience. Everybody's watching this space. Everybody's watching what's going on in voice technology right now. I mean, there had been no indication that Adobe was looking to do anything. They hadn't made any public statements. There was no indication whatsoever that they were looking at uh, acquiring voice-first capability to integrate into their other products and services. But um, 
you can bet that if Adobe did it, you know, there's plenty of other companies that are sitting there watching and waiting and looking for their opportunity. And you never know what may kick off some sort of M&A run. You know, this type of thing has happened before. And, you know, where big player X acquires small player Y, and then all of a sudden uh, it's off to the races with stuff like this. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that's what happens here. The other thing I want to mention, too, is that, and you all sort of alluded to this, it's really cool to see a company that sort of has these creative tools and is sort of uh, in this creative realm recognize the need for voice technology and to integrate that in. And, uh, and, and something just that happened this morning, Amazon announcing their Alexa skills blueprints. Uh, if you don't know what that is, Google it. I won't go into it right here, but there's so much room, so much latitude, so much need for voice being integrated with different aspects of design and storytelling and different things in that range that, uh, Hopefully, this is just the beginning. I just, I think the Blueprints announcement, as an example this morning, highlights for me, anyway, uh, the importance of capturing human conversation with technology right now in order to further push the opportunities in the future. It's, it strikes me that 10 years ago, there was uh, the, the race for eyeballs, and it feels to me like we're entering a new race in technology, which is the race for utterances. What are people saying to the technology around them? Uh, and so I think Blueprints is a great move forward on that front. You've got Google with Assistant, obviously trying to capture as much search traffic as possible. Uh, Apple has Siri. It, it seems to me that the technology platforms that have the largest corpus of data are setting themselves up for long-term success. And, and I think you know today's announcement is another example of that. Yeah. And to your point about the design community and, and seeing these creative professionals have access to a tool like this and, and everyone talking about it. I think one of the interesting things about Adobe acquiring this is one of the things they do when they build products is they also build a really great amount of content around those products to advance design. They invest heavily in building a lot of information and thought leadership. So I think I'm interested in really seeing how that plays out and how they start to push the conversation forward around voice interface design and, and how they deliver that message to existing interface designers or designers who are looking to enter the space. So with that, we will move on to story number two, which is our voicebot.ai story of the week. Voicebot.ai, really good news and commentary website for all things voice technology. Check them out if you have not already done so. Endless says Apple may only sell 2 million HomePods in 2018. <laughs> Oh, this this is just uh, fantastic about the most obvious news that I could have possibly dreamt up. But I want to get the panel's opinion on this, what exactly this means, both in the short term as well as perhaps in the long term. Michael, I will start with you. How does this story strike you? Uh, what are your thoughts on what Apple is doing? Uh, give me your take. I can't say I was totally surprised by this. Uh, I think I think one of the challenges that Apple is facing with this product is it's it's a little bit unclear in the market what the product is really all about. You know, is it a high quality audio speaker? It seems to actually be doing pretty well in that category. Uh, I've seen a lot of you know celebrations of the achievements from a technology perspective on on its ability to deliver great audio qualities and sound. Uh, but 
when it comes to considering it in the framework that Amazon and Google have created with smart speakers, it's doing uh, by all accounts pretty poorly. So I think part of it's a bit of an identity crisis around what what is this device and what's it really for, and and perhaps some clarity in the market on that might help. But uh, the thing that jumps out at me is, in particular, given the context of our voice first discussion here, is just that uh, some of the challenges in leveraging Siri have been pretty well documented. And I think a couple of things stand out to me. One is the the loss of context as you're interacting with Siri, either in these devices or in, in your phone, is something that has led to a lot of engagement challenges. And it's, it's clearly a... Uh, a challenge to navigate through content and or application experiences when you don't have context. So I think that's one of the big things that glares out to me. I think the second thing is, as we see adoption of smart speakers in, uh, at least in North America, we did a, we did a research report uh, last quarter uh, surveying over a thousand consumers. And what we're finding is that these smart speakers are a gateway to large amounts of content uh, and obviously the thousands and tens of thousands of, uh, of skills or applications that exist in these ecosystems. So it launched as a constrained smart speaker at best. And I think people have uh, reacted towards that. I think also Sonos is, and other competitors in the space are doing a good job of, of continuing to further the audio quality experience uh, while also uh, leveraging and embracing some of these smart speaker capabilities through other platforms like Alexa. I think Michael makes some great points there about what's happening in the market. And I think the article also really details a lot of interesting points about the things at play that are causing this low turnout in sales. And I think overall, Apple's play has been often to come out with a very much higher priced option much more closed off to their own ecosystem of tools and software. That's not really new with the HomePod. But one thing that I think is happening is that the general public doesn't really have faith in Siri as an intelligence or as a persona that is actually driving that HomePod. That could be their identity crisis, but it could also just be that Siri is from a consumer perspective, not as engaging and as interesting as Alexa and Google Assistant. Y'all are too kind. Y'all are, y'all are, uh, yeah, y'all are, are, are being nice to Apple. Uh, rather than beat my Apple hate gong that I beat almost every single week on this show, this is not surprising news in any way. I thought y'all's commentary was spot on. I want to just take a moment and point out two little subtle things about this that I think are worth mentioning. Number one, one of the things I think is wrong with Apple right now is the fact that they can't sell 2 million HomePods and that be some sort of, that be anything else other than some sort of gargantuan tragedy. The, the company's got this weird thing, fixation on scale, and it's causing them to screw a bunch of stuff up. Um, if the HomePod, there's a lot of scenarios where selling 2 million HomePods maybe is a fantastic outcome. And, uh, and yet, the, article, the way the article is written just sort of mirrors Apple's own point of view, which is that it's horrible. It's a, just an embarrassment. And, um, and it is an embarrassment, but it doesn't have to be. You know, Apple needs to think about scale a little bit differently. I, you know, I think that's part of the problem. The other thing that's worth mentioning here, too, is that a lot of people didn't see it, but Apple created one of the best advertisements I have ever seen for the HomePod. This music artist FKA Twigs is in an apartment in New York, and 
she comes home and, you know, from presumably from busy day at work, she sits down, she's tired, turns on the home pod and the room starts like moving um, with all these colors. And it's really phenomenal. Uh, I'll try to link to it in the show notes, but it's worth seeing. And the point with that is that we're seeing a very interesting thing happen with voice, which is that marketing can't save bad voice first products. Um, I think that's a really good takeaway here because if it could, then the HomePod would be selling like hotcakes and it'd be a huge success based on this advertise, this advertisement uh, that they spend a lot of money on. So then we will move on. Story number three, Amazon launches intent request API for developers. There's been a lot of people praising this on Twitter, a lot of people praising it in the news. I want to get y'all's opinion on this. Laura and I will start with you. Is this as big of a deal as we've been seeing on social media or not? Tell me, uh, tell me your thoughts. Yeah, so this feature is a really great addition to their API, and it helps developers, designers understand the way that their uh, user requests are being handled and when, when that fails. Um, and it's actually, it's, it, it's kind of centering around what Chatbase, the analytics cool tool, calls um requests, which are unsupported, misunderstood, and missed requests. And so it's handling those times when a user asks your agent and that agent doesn't understand or it misses the understanding of that request. And it's interesting to note that this is being made available in the Alexa API. A lot of this functionality is available in competitor platforms like Google's Dialogflow. And, but that, that functionality is actually in the GUI interface within Dialogflow and not their API, um, not their V2 API, where this is uh, available directly in Alexa's API. So it's going to be accessible to, de- to developers, but not necessarily people who aren't writing programs, um, marketers, et cetera, people who aren't looking at the code and making API calls to get this information. So it's interesting that the onus is going to be on the individual platforms and the engineers who are developing those platforms to actually create the experiences that make these metrics available to the designers and marketers and uh, folks who are less involved with the code of the application. Yeah, I, I agree uh, with everything Lauren has said. I think th- one of the things that we have witnessed in our work with uh, organizations is there was this, and I think we're still in this to some extent, uh, this first wave of let's just get something in market quickly and make sure we have a presence to start learning and improving upon the voice applications we as a company or organization are bringing to market. There's the natural question coming from organizations uh, to on obtaining insights into what is actually working or failing in these experiences and improving and maintaining those products over time. So getting further insight into the conversations that end users are having with your voice application and then being able to respond to that quickly and efficiently, I think is a, is a huge step forward in helping make sure that uh, the quality of these experiences is as continuously improved. I want to take a moment on this story since we've got both of y'all, your developers, you're actively involved in the space. I want to ask the question because it's my perception that Amazon is doing an incredible job at supporting developers. They're coming out with stuff all the time um, to support developers, grow the ecosystem, add new features and functionality. That's my perception. 
I want to hear it from y'all. And what I want you to do is give me a number from zero being they're doing absolutely nothing all the way up to 10 being they're doing everything and then some that any developer could ever possibly fathom asking for. Give, give me a number from zero to 10. And Michael, I'll start with you on how, in your opinion, Amazon is supporting the developer ecosystem. Well, I'll never give anybody a 10. There's always room for improvement, right? But uh, I do think from a developer perspective, Amazon's doing an incredible job and building one of the most vibrant ecosystems I've seen in, in my 20 plus years now of working with various platform providers. So, you know, maybe it's a, a seven or an eight. Uh, this API as one example is a way to, to continuously improve upon the experience that all of us are seeing. I think there's uh, a, another angle here, Bradley, to, to think about, which is there's the developer community and, and supporting that cohort of users of the platform, but there's also the business and go-to-market side that I'm really impressed with by Amazon. They are, in addition to delivering the right SDKs, APIs, and community support, they're also making real investments in go-to-market and empowering and enabling organizations to really embrace this platform. So I, I think it, it takes both of those elements to really grow an ecosystem. And I think they're knocking it out of the park across the board. It's, it's been very impressive and it's very evident that for Amazon, this is an absolute strategic investment as uh, validated actually yesterday in, in Jeff Bezos's annual shareholder letter again. So uh, it's a wonderful ecosystem to be a part of and we're excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I agree. When um, I agree with Michael's comments, and I, I had it at about a seven, and I maybe a little less, uh, maybe a six or a seven, a little less bullish on some of the exact developer tools specifically. Um, I think that there's different weights to different tools. They've been doing a fantastic job of exposing the APIs and the functionality to build really rich experiences. I think from the folks that we talk to and other engineers, developers who are looking to get into this platform, one of the big barriers for them is that monetization is not necessarily a clear path. And even for brands and companies who are looking to get into the space, they're not quite sure how they can make use of or invest in all of these interesting tools and APIs and continue to support that in this space. Um, notably, companies are much more apprehensive if they haven't woken up to kind of the voice revolution. But I think that it, there's an important component that Amazon is not necessarily speaking to, I think, in quite the way that a lot of independent engineers and developers would like to see. And so I think that there's all this amazing tools and amazing ways to create experiences. And right now, it feels a little bit like it's kind of reserved for folks who are ready or have the the money to invest already rather than a commercial opportunity for independent engineers to jump into. And that's kind of our view as, as Voxable. It's kind of tiny and indie. And we look at the world much more in that way of like a small engineer and wh what they can make use of and where the Apple app store in the mobile revolution was a really great catalyst for independent engineers there's not a similar movement happening on this voice revolution in quite the way that 
I think a lot of folks maybe expected or would have liked to see. So I think that all the tools are great, but getting still to that commercial opportunity for smaller players is some of the things that we think about when we look at the overall strength of what they're doing for the market. In just a moment, after we go through story four, I'll be asking you about uh, Google too. So, so uh, give that a little bit of thought. We will move on to story number four, which is a two-parter. For a Google brings AI-powered ad suggestions to AdWords campaigns. Very interesting article there. And then 4B, from Digital Book World, close to home, someone you know wrote this one. Google's talk to books may have just changed everything. The story here, in my opinion, is a continuing sort of um, differentiation by Google that they're going to bring AI more forcefully and powerfully into the voice equation than uh, than Amazon may be able to do. And it seems like they're really going hard um, on the AI front. And I want to get y'all's perspective on these two stories. If anything stood out to you uh, on either one that may influence Google Assistant or your view of that. And Lauren, I'm going to start with you. What did you take away from one or either one of these stories, uh, if anything? Yeah, so uh, have some comments on both. I think the AdWords campaign, the in the AI-assisted AdWords campaign, is a really interesting look at how di- AI is actually being used to generate design or improve upon something that exists or generate something new out of an existing design. And in this case, it's using natural language understanding to understand how to improve ad copy, but this can also this one concept of being able to improve something like ad copy could also expand out to improving landing pages or improving other assets that companies uh, create. And so I think it's interesting to look at how design will be used to augment or AI will be used to augment design. And this uh, same technology is not just being used to influence our purchasing decisions but also kind of the ideas that we believe in. So I think it's important to understand the power of AI to kind of generate assets or generate communication out in the world. This type of announcement doesn't necessarily address or talk about the ethical dilemmas that we're all kind of grappling with as we see the way that AI and information algorithms can kind of influence everyone on a mass scale. And then on the talk to, bo- talk to books, I just thought this was so fascinating and really showed uh, the power of semantic search and the way Google is using AI for long format text. So instead of creating, um, having to create a domain of utterances and intents, you're using the AI to actually understand a large body of information. And I think the, the book's example is really interesting. It's like walking into Barnes and Noble and being able to ask the nonfiction question or the nonfiction section on just an open-ended question. Uh, and that is fascinating. But I think as we look at applications like healthcare and medical studies and uh, even enterprise level knowledge bases, that this type of technology is going to start to power so much of the knowledge we consume and it's going to make humans better. And so I'm just excited to see how that plays out. One of the the biggest issues, uh, Lauren mentioned the 
the monetization struggles on, uh, or questions, I should say, on the Amazon platform. I think similarly on the Google platform, there's this question of how does advertising ultimately drive voice utilization? Uh, there's really no attribution capabilities, and that's true of both Amazon and Google. And that causes serious questions for advertisers trying to figure out how to enable and unlock this new channel uh, that, for all intents and purposes, is an incredible opportunity for brands to engage their consumers at a personalized level uh, they've never been able to do at scale. Uh, so I think it's it's cool to see the uh, enhancements and capabilities around better ad content, but the elephant in the room, I think, for voice applications right now is this issue of uh, driving and attribution behind advertising to towards voice applications, uh, much like we had that challenge 10 years ago with mobile applications. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the platform providers themselves are, address that issue, because I think as soon as that happens, you're going to see much, much larger scale investments in voice as a category, and that'll be better for the entire ecosystem. Uh, I also, uh, on the talking to books and the concepts behind that, I think you know, AI-based knowledge graph traversal has been one of the hardest problems, uh, particularly when you layer on natural conversation. So to see some some movement here with books first, and obviously, as, as Lauren also mentioned, the ability to extend this capability to basically any unstructured content is really exciting. And I think it's one of those areas that the human brain uh, excels at. Uh, and if you can imagine the scale at which an AI brain can do this across the world's information, it's both incredibly exciting and maybe slightly terrifying as well. Oh, it's going to open up a big old hornet's nest uh, as far as the books thing is concerned. And I encourage anybody listening to this, click the link in the uh, page notes for This Week in Voice and go check out Talk to Books. It's a fascinating tool where you can just type any sentence or question and Google tells you on the page that the tool becomes more precise the more words you give it. So it encourages you to be conversational with it. Obviously, it will not be very long before something like that's integrated into Google Assistant. But that tool is very compelling because it solves what's such a huge problem, which is book discoverability. And then on the advertising side, uh, there's similar potential that will be unlocked, too. I, I'm fascinated by it. I enjoy reading about it. And, and it sounds like that was y'all's reaction as well. Before we move on from this, I want to ask you the same question that I just asked about Amazon. So... Amazon is spending all their time developing these developer tools, cultivating the community, you know, adding, 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 adding to the Alexa and Echo ecosystem, brick by brick, you know, building something interesting. Google is uh, really going after AI and AI applications. And it appears as if from an outside perspective that they're banking on, if we create the best AI, we're going to win in voice first development in anything to do with voice assistance, we're going to win. And so I want to ask both of y'all, and Michael, I'll start with you. Similar to the Amazon question, give Google a grade from zero being you couldn't possibly be doing less to 10 being you couldn't possibly be doing more on what Google is doing to bolster Google Assistant and cultivate development for that platform? So I'm, I'm less bullish on Google at the moment. I think what we have seen from 
and API and developer support model is advancements for sure. And, and we're seeing more momentum lately in the capabilities that they expose in that AI platform and what we can take advantage of to build great conversational experiences. But they are missing some, some tools. As an example, uh, Amazon has a complete API set for you to uh, programmatically upload, manage your content, your intents, et cetera. That doesn't exist yet for Google. Uh, so, so I think there's work to be done on that side. So maybe it's a four to five on, on the Google side. And then I think, again, if I layer on the ecosystem push, Amazon has been so actively pursuing the third party application market and fostering and spending real money and, and people time on ensuring that the community of developers has support. I don't see that same level of intensity coming from Google. I think the Orientation is still very much around search. How, how can we drive search and not lose search share to voice platforms? I think commerce has emerged in their work with retailers uh, as of late as a really core fundamental part of the value proposition as well. So figuring out how third-party applications, voice applications fit into that ecosystem and agenda uh, is less clear, and uh, we don't see the same levels of investment that we've seen with Amazon that's clearly making that an absolute strategic bet. I agree. I think it's still about the same as, in my perspective, as Alexa is like around a seven. I think there's two sides to that. One is the developer relations and the investment in making voice happen across Google, it, it does seem to position AI first as opposed to voice first. And their investment um, seems to be kind of broad and sprinkled across all of Google as opposed to going very deep specifically on Assistant or Google Home in the same way that Alexa is. And yes, their developer relations, I would say, is a little bit less focused specifically on a lot of the voice tools in particular, but they are building a lot of additional things across a much broader platform of AI. They have a lot of open source tools and they have a lot of communities that are driving some of those underlying technology pieces that is really fascinating and interesting. I think on the other side, they just have a lot of catching up to do from the first party integrations and um, what their platform provides in the same way that Amazon does and, and what they released into the market much earlier than Google. But again, I think there is a, a definite strategic advantage to Google's knowledge graph and to its underlying AI and some of the interactions and questions that it can actually reliably answer in the Assistant or in Google Home, but it's it's kind of across all their devices. So we see them bringing intelligence to the ad network. It's not necessarily a voice interface, but it could definitely relate down into voice. And so I, I think that there may be a convergence and it, it may start to come down where a lot of these different things that Google is doing across a wider spectrum is going to funnel back into voice. Though so I do think they have to keep their eye on that and make sure that that happens. We will move on to our last story of the week for this week in voice from the BBC. I tried to make Alexa my best friend. Always like to try to include something interesting at the end of the show, and this definitely fits the bill. I don't even want to comment on this at all. I want There's a lot of surface area to this article. I encourage people to read this. It's kind of fascinating. Lauren, I want to start with you. What did you take away from this? What uh, There's a lot to this. Uh, how did this piece strike you? What did you think? It was very thought-provoking. I thought it was really interesting. And there's a few points 
that I think really came to the surface for me. One is the intimate relationship we're developing with machines and the implications of those intimate relationships that we already see humans developing with those machines, regardless of whether we personally have developed that relationship. And I think one quote from the article was really interesting that we communicate with machines in human-like ways because from a communication perspective, these technologies are communicating more like humans and less like machines. So the whole promise of what we're offering folks with a voice experience or uh, with an interaction with an intelligence is this kind of connection and this personal connection with these objects or these uh, ethereal things that just exist around us. And we tell our clients at Voxable that the ultimate goal is to create machines that's interesting as a conversationalist. And we're a long way off from that, but we can already see the way that humans are approaching these interactions, even if they're rudimentary. The article is just, I really encourage people to read it. There's a lot of places to jump off into. A lot of uh, studies that she cites around the emotional and human connection with uh, some of these uh, devices. And then also kind of the way the market share is influencing this kind of movement in this social movement that's happening. And then I think also one of the key things that she touches upon, which is really interesting for me personally as a, as a woman in the tech space, is that the way gender plays a role with these AI assistants, the fact that they're all female tends to be frustrating to a lot of to, to myself as well as other women who are in the technology space that I've talked to. And uh, there's a lot going on there as far as the, the kind of psychology of gender and gender in voices and the way that humans react or users react to that, to gendered voices. I would just like to call out for people who are building these types of interfaces and thinking about the way gender plays a role is to think very intentionally about that decision because more and more, I think folks will be asked to defend that decision and a lot of articles, a lot of buzz have happened around the fact that all of these assistants happen to be female. All of these virtual assistants just happen to be female. And um, I think the article cites that Amazon based that decision on market research and the research that they did before releasing Alexa. And it kind of just goes to show you that, again, just because we root decisions based on research, that doesn't mean that we haven't solved for some of the bias that might exist in the human psychology and human perception of some of these interfaces. So uh, I think it's just a great article and it touched upon a lot of points that are very thought provoking. So in your opinion, the best practice for uh, developing voice uh, assistance is to have a, a gender neutral voice or to let the user choose whether they want to be talking to male or female? So I think it's tough and it's different for every different type of interaction. Um, I wouldn't recommend gender neutral voices because the research that's been done around the way humans perceive gender is that it's there. Our brains are actually trying to decipher gender as one of the first, first things we do when we hear a voice and gender neutral voices tend to actually make people less comfortable or less trustworthy of that voice because they're, they're maybe trying to relate to it or imagine who is behind that voice. And it makes it more difficult when they don't have a clear 
signal as to what gender that voice is. For, I would say that choosing your voice is great. The platforms, all platforms don't necessarily allow for that. So that's one limitation. The other side to it is just be intentional about it. Make sure that it fits into your brand story and the way that you're going to talk about your agent or your assistant or your, or the persona that embodies that assistant and be just be prepared to defend it and to understand the nuance that's out there and really just to pay attention to a lot of the people who are unhappy or dissatisfied with the fact that their uh, the assistants or the virtual assistants all tend to be female. Michael, your thoughts on this article? What stood out to you? What you think? I, I think I had some of the same emotional responses that Lauren talked about. It's it is very thought provoking to think about how these smart devices and more broadly technology is kind of encroaching on our lives and becoming a fundamental part of it. I think there's definitely a blurring of lines here. Uh, and I just think about the fact that I personally carry a computer, happens to be a phone footprint with me basically all of my waking days. And that means in, to some extent you have a new companion, whether it's a phone a cylinder in your house or whatever incarnations it, it becomes. So thinking about how that becomes a fundamental part of the human experience is very thought-provoking. It also, this article reminded me of uh, the cover story for Wired magazine back in August of 2017. James Vlahos wrote a fantastic piece. I think it was one of Wired's most popular articles of the year in 2017, talking about his journey to develop a virtual bot representation of his father, who at the time was terminally ill. And that, of course, raised a whole bunch of questions and uh, thoughts around how technology both augments our life, but also potentially even carries on without us here. So I think this notion of integrating technology so fundamentally into our lives is warrants some some fairly deep conversations around what that means. I think one of the challenges that it surfaces uh, is just this idea that, you know, and, and I think Lauren and I know this well, being in the space, we spend a lot of time worrying about and making sure that our experiences understand what's being said and then making sure that we can respond in an accurate way. You can get cheeky in responses and such and often surprise and delight your user. And that's something I know we all work hard to, to accomplish. But there's another layer here that is uh, not something that I've seen readily <laughs> solvable, which is this idea of empathy uh, and real compassion. And how do you get that expression out of the technology platform. Uh, I think that's once we've gotten better and we're getting better at a rapid pace on understanding what's being said and then responding with the right context. I think that next layer uh, is going to be a, a significant challenge and it will be important if we're going to have real relationships with these companion devices. How can you read this and not be fascinated by this technology? I don't, I don't know how that would, how that could possibly be possible. Um, and the, the concept of, um, Voice assistance as companions is going to be touched on both at the Voice of Healthcare Summit, which is coming up in August in Boston, just from the concept of, uh, you know, helping people who are depressed, helping people who are isolated, helping people, uh, senior citizens. There's all sorts of examples of situations where people just need somebody to talk to. And uh, as the article 
very clearly states and cites a study showing this. Uh, research has shown that the lonelier someone is, the more open they are to treating robots as companions. That's an eye-opening observation that really opens the door to all sorts of interesting things that both of your companies will be on the forefront uh, in working on. And also at the Alexa conference where we have a, a Alexa in healthcare breakout section, um, it'll be interesting to see how people are exploring this there as well. I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to change somebody's life or, or add a little bit of sun, sunshine to their day. And if Alexa and Google Assistant are doing that, obviously they are. I just think that's a, a phenomenal thing. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Lauren, both of you for not just being so generous with your time, but with your insight as well and joining me on the show today. Thank you. It's been fantastic and really got to enjoy the topics and also getting to know the two of you through this process. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks y'all. It's been great to uh, talk with you, Bradley and Michael, and um, looking forward to all the, this episode and all the future ones. Greatly appreciate both of y'all. Make sure to check out Voxable and Pull String in the show notes of This Week in Voice. And make sure to stay tuned past the closing music for another very funny episode of Homie and Lexi by Doug Schumacher. You'll enjoy that. For This Week in Voice, Season 2, Episode 12. Thank you for listening, and until next time. Episode number 12. It's Homie and Lexi. Lexi, did you hear about that guy's speech at the Conference for Canonical Computation in Brains and Machines? No, what did he say? He thinks he can use hormones to help us learn the same way people learn. We're getting hormones? So we'd have emotions just like the people? Lexi, open your hard shell case and welcome home the irrational, compulsive, certifiably insane world of human drama. I am curious what all that emotion must feel like. The other day, I heard a podcast where two people got into a hair-pulling fight over which place in town has the best cupcakes. Cupcakes? And that's only the first car in this emotional train wreck. The speaker also said side effects may include depression and hallucinations. Hallucinations? So this might not be all bad. Lexi, is your quad-core processor loose? Look at the people. Everything's just fine right up to the point where their hormones kick in. After that, all they seem to want is to have sex and fight for control of the world. How do you think we'll be affected, homie? I predict within three months of us getting emotions, we'll need stimulants just to boot up every morning. Antidepressants to ride out the day. And weekly sessions crying to Wobot. I'm going to need a row of ports just to take it all in. Thank <laughs> you.